Hey, Michael, want to tell me what movie this is from? Shoot, Dylan. There are rich teams, and there are poor teams, and there's 50 feet of crap, and then there's us. You know, I'm thinking Moneyball. So, welcome back to Chaos Theory Sports. I'm Dylan. And I'm Michael. And we are here to talk to you today about Moneyball, as we stated earlier. So, just to remind you guys, our podcast focuses on an event in previous sports history, analyzes the event, and tries to predict the result if this event never happened. So, you know, made public by Michael Lewis's book back in 2003. Yep. We got a 2011 movie starring Brad Pitt. Mm-hmm. Definitely a good watch. Recommend yep. both of those uh, and if it, you're looking for some material this summer. And it's based off the 2002 Oakland Athletics and their improbable season where they lost three key players and with little money, little resources, somehow managed to win their division. 103 games. 103 games. 103. Went on a 20-game win streak. Magical. At the end of August, winning a bunch of close games. Basically an incredible season. Uh, if you haven't seen the movie, you really get into the heart of the team. The, the underdog oh. mentality. You know, yeah. That's something I can really relate to. You always want to root for the underdog. Best position in sports, I'm telling you. All right, so the three key players they lost. First up, Johnny Damon, big name in Boston. He was a Red Sox player. That's who he left for after the 2001 season from the Athletics. Then they also lost Jason Giambi to the New York Yankees. He was the 2000 MVP, ridiculous 38 home runs and 342 average, top two player in the league at the time, probably. And finally, we got Jason Isringhausen. Among his many accomplishments as reliever, I'd say his most notable is being on my personal MLB top 10 name list, sandwiched right between Mookie Betts and Lonnie Chisenhall. Yeah, he was their closer for the time. 34 saves in 01. So those are the three key players. Better name. All right, so the reason it was such a big deal that they lost these three key players is that the Oakland Athletics were such a small market team that they did not have the money or the resources to compete with the other teams and getting signing these free agents, acquiring these big-name players. These guys were just irreplaceable to the Athletics. So in 2002, the A's had a $41 million payroll, and the Yankees were at $125 million. So obviously, there is a huge competitive imbalance inherent in those numbers. So, Dylan, how did the A's manage to stay competitive despite this economic disadvantage? Well, Michael, Billy Bean, the Oakland Athletics general manager, was an absolute genius. And what he did is he looked at all the statistics, all the analytics of all the players in baseball, looked at everyone who was on the market, and found out which statistics that correlated to wins were also undervalued by these teams. And what he found was that batting average was completely overpaid for on the market, and that a statistic called on-base percentage, which is basically just batting average with walks included, was completely undervalued and correlated more to wins. That's interesting. You just think a walk and a single, it's the same outcome. You're getting a batter on first base. And sometimes the walk is even better because you got to get at least four pitches to get a walk, excluding hit batters. Whereas with a single can often happen before those four pitches occur. And usually a walk is more than four pitches because they throw strikes too. So you're actually tiring the starting pitcher out and you're getting on base. Right. And so maybe that's part of the reason that on base percentage actually correlated so much to wins and was not paid for. Because a lot of patient hitters were really undervalued by the market. They were. And so what Billy Bean did is he found all these guys that were undervalued on the market, brought them all in, and then he won 103 games with them. Smart guy. Genius. The fact that no one really caught on to this yet, too. When when you think about batting average, I mean, it's still used over on base percentage today in fantasy baseball, but it makes so much more sense to use on base percentage. I mean, what got guys like Joey Votto, who just walk a ton. That's that's awesome. So the three guys that the A's signed to replace their three star players 
were Scott Hatterberg at first place to replace Jason Giambi, David Justice in left field to replace Johnny Damon, and Billy Coke, who replaced Jason Isringhausen as closer. So if you look at Hatterberg and Justice, these two guys actually had the highest on-base percentage for the O2 Athletics. That's despite having the AL MVP, Miguel Tejada, on the roster. He only had a 354 on-base percentage. Hatterberg had .374 and Justice .376. So these players clearly had a knack for getting on base. If you look, they both had more walks than strikeouts. Hatterberg had 68 walks and Justice 70 walks. All right, so what really bust the Oakland A's out into the scene that year was their famed 20-game win streak. Starting on August 13th, they're 68-51, and 51, but third in the AL West. It's got a pretty solid record, but a very competitive division. Uh, you have the Seattle team that won 116 games last year. It's very, very good teams, that division, so yes. got to have a good record to do well. That is when the 20-game streak started, and they did not lose again until after their September 5th victory. And at that point, over the Kansas City Royals with the famed walk-off home run by Scott Hatterberg, big Hatterberg guy. Yes, and this vaulted them all the way into first place in their division, setting them up to go into the playoffs. I mean, if you look at some of the performances during the streak, it's incredible. Corey Little was their fourth starter. He didn't have necessarily a great overall year, but he went 5-0 and and had a .2 ERA. I mean, guys were lights out during this streak. And if you watch the Moneyball movie, you can get this, like, you get this feeling. Like, they had this feeling of, like, teamwork and camaraderie. It felt like he was part of some, something very special. Yeah, this is a Major League Baseball record 20-game win streak. Yeah, especially for a franchise like this that was doubted all year. You know, that scrappy underdog Oakland A's. They got that like underdog feeling. I mean, like back in Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig, New York Yankee days, they didn't win more than nine games in a row in their best season. That just goes to show you how not only incredibly talented the A's were, but also somewhat lucky to have a 20-game win streak. And if you just look at this probability-wise, if you have a 50% chance of winning every game, the odds of you winning 20 games in a row would be 0.000095%. That's not very likely, Michael. No. So now it's time to get into the chaos theory aspect of the 2002 Oakland Athletics. So if you look at how it was publicized by Michael Lewis's book, this idea of exploiting market inefficiencies, that's always obviously been a major factor in business, but people don't really see baseball as a business. They thought just because sports and its randomness that it was more hard, pure talent evaluation. But now you have this book, and owners are thinking, well, if this team is using sabermetrics, being super successful and running their team more like a business rather than how a sports team has traditionally been run, then maybe I should be in charge making more decisions rather than just handing it off to these so-called baseball guys who know what they're talking about. Yeah, so Moneyball, it really accelerated that transformation of the league, right? Teams would have eventually come to this realization, you know, it's 20 years later almost. At some point, there would have been this transition to a more analytical approach to baseball as a whole. Moneyball and just the mass publicization of it with not only the book, but also the movie, it really just brought in the new era so much faster than it would have otherwise. Yeah, it's really a transition towards you're seeing now a lot more people who have never played baseball, maybe even never even played sports in general, are in front offices rather than it used to be like former players and people who've just been around the game their entire life. Now it's a lot of like Ivy Leaguers taking up the front office and whatnot. Yeah. 
Yeah, like when I saw that movie, I thought Jonah Hill's character that was like the coolest guy I'd seen in like any movie. That's in fact, Moneyball was my favorite movie at the time when I was like eight when I saw this or whatever. And obviously, the movie received very high critical acclaim. It has 94% on Rotten Tomatoes and 86% audience score. It doubled its budget and profits, and it was nominated for four Golden Globes. So not only was Moneyball really reaching out in the sports world, it was branching out all over these different industries, the film industries, different mathematical industries, you know, nerd, nerd, kind of nerdy analytical industries all over the place. Yeah, it really had this reach, which brought so much public attention to the use of sabermetrics. And I think what you were saying about traditional nerdier audiences, and people are like, oh, this game is so much more based off numbers, it might actually brought some people maybe closer to the game, or maybe older people brought them away from the game, like traditional hard baseball guys, but definitely a much wider reach of these sabermetrics. So if this whole Moneyball year, this magical Moneyball year never happened for the athletics, it's likely that the mass publicization wouldn't have happened and baseball wouldn't have been branching out to all these different industries. But the strategies that Billy Bean implored would have eventually trickled into the league. It's unavoidable, really, with how other managers are always trying to get at one leg up. And they would have eventually looked to Bill James, who's the father of sabermetrics. He had actually invented them in the 70s, and Billy Bean was just the first to utilize them. So it's likely that some team would have eventually found them, started using them, and this whole Moneyball idea would have spread around the league. Billy Bean doing it just sped up the process vastly. And the popularity of sabermetrics really picked up steam after the Red Sox and Cardinals introduced them into their front office regimen and then won World Series in preceding years. Because a lot of the criticism around Oakland's Moneyball was that in their traditional Moneyball years, 01-03, they would have a great regular season, they'd get to the playoffs, and then they'd just get out in the first round. So a lot of people were like, oh, well, this works in the regular season, but does it really matter if you're just going to lose in the playoffs? And so after the Red Sox and Cardinals were really able to have playoff success and beat other teams in the postseason, that's when it really started to pick up steam around the league. The following conversation includes dramatizations of the real world. In no way, shape, or form do Hogan and Holly claim all facts to be true. All right, Mike. So let's role play. Okay. You be Athletics General Manager Billy Bean. Oh, yeah. And I will be famed sports analyst Stephen A. Smith. Well, well, well. Billy, how are we doing today? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Stephen? I'm doing fantastic. Oh, goody good. Now, I want to ask you, can you tell me a little bit about how you came into the baseball world coming out of high school? Well, it all started uh, back down in the glades, you know, wrestling with the croc. You know, I, I, had, uh, I had this full-ride scholarship to go to Stanford, play baseball and football. I was going to replace John Elway as the, uh, as the starting quarterback. And, you know, it was pretty good. But uh, this croc, he told me, go to the Mets, take, take their offer. They drafted me uh, towards the end of the first round. You know, I had $300,000 signing bonus. It was a lot of money. It was the only decision in my life that I'll ever make about money. But I had to take it. I, I forfeited my scholarship to Stanford, and I went right into the bigs. Well, we were in the minors first, but... So you're telling me you turned down Stanford because of a crocodile? That is absolutely right, Steven. Sounds logical to me. Well, we all know that your playing career didn't really turn out as you would have liked. That ain't really why you brought me on, man. Hey, we're getting there. We're getting there. So, how would you say that you view the game as a whole differently than the other executives in the league? Well, 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 Stephen A. I would have to say I see the game as more of a 27-out game rather than a scoring more runs than the other team game. See, I see we got 27 outs to get all the runs that we can. This, my sir, is preposterous. How do you expect to win a game of baseball if you're not scoring more runs than the other team? 
Whoa, whoa, Steven. Hey, it's, all, it's, all, it's all about the approach, man. See, we're just doing a better job of not getting those 27 outs than the other team. And that's how we win 103 games that season. All right, Mr. Bean. So how would you say that Moneyball has evolved <clears throat> over these past few years? Well... I think a money ball is a strategy of looking at the market and seeing what stats are not valued by other teams, typically those the richer teams that can afford to sign players big contracts. Back in the traditional money ball days, back in the early 2000s, a lot of it was on-base percentage. Most teams were overvaluing batting average and not looking at on-base percentage enough. And now, through Michael Lewis's book, on-base percentage isn't really undervalued anymore. But recently, in these past couple of years, I believe fly ball percentage has been undervalued. Teams aren't taking as much of a look at players who are hitting really good fly balls that are potentially going out of the park. Oh, now it's making more sense. Now I'm starting to see the Billy Bean way. I think this talk has been extremely helpful. I appreciate it as well. Happy to get my, get my word out to the world. I'd like to thank you for coming on my show. Thank you, Mr. Smith. And thank you, Mr. Bean. Thank you for listening to our podcast, Chaos Theory Sports, with Dylan and Michael. We would like to thank uh, Perrytune for their positive, happy beat that we are currently playing right now. We'd also like to thank Baseball Reference, The Sport Journal, Yahoo, 538, and The Washington Post for information used in the podcast. With that being said, I'm Dylan. And I'm Michael. Signing off. Have a nice day. You too, Michael. Thank you. <laughs>